0: Hello and welcome to this podcast from Faber. My name is George Miller, and I'm delighted to say that for the first time on the Faber podcast, my guests are identical twins, the American poets Matthew and Michael Dickman. During a rare visit to the UK, the brothers came into the Faber offices recently to talk to me about their new book of verse, Brother, a volume of poems they wrote in response to the death of their elder brother, Darren, from an overdose. This bringing together of the brothers work was the idea of faber poetry editor matthew hollis the book prints the poet's work in so-called tete format turn the book one way and michael's poems are at the front flip it over and you have matthew's collection in your hands in the interview we talk about growing up in portland oregon in the 80s about their discovery of poetry the very close involvement they have always had in each other's work the relationship with their late brother, and the experience of writing about him after his death. You'll also get to hear Michael and Matthew read several poems from the collection. The brothers discovered poetry in their teens, so I began by asking if they'd begun writing it more or less simultaneously. Michael speaks first.
1: It happened, um, I would say, simultaneously. You know, both my brother and I, separately but around the same time, had what could be described as intense reading experiences. Myself with a book of poems by Pablo Neruda called The Captain's Verses, and my brother Matthew with a book of poems by Anne Sexton called Transformations. And we both were affected deeply by reading these books and then wanted to imitate, you know, and write, Something like those, and um, and so we started to to do that, and then we started to read more and more contemporary poets, partly due to some supportive people around us, like our drama instructor in high school, Ernie Cachado, who was brilliant at introducing us to different poets and also introducing us to the idea of of a life as an artist and also we lived in Portland Oregon which has the greatest bookstore in North America, Powell's Books, and we would go and hang out in the poetry section and just pull down anything that looked interesting to us.
2: On top of that we had a very supportive single mother who had raised us and when she saw us making art she never Uh, hindered us in any way or suggested that it was a waste of time she was really supportive of us in writing poems and encouraged us and loved loved it when we wrote something would share it with her and actually introduced us to the work of a couple poets who would become really important to us including poets like uh, Phil Levine.
0: And is it possible for you to kind of recapture what it was about poetry that spoke to you back then what that that great discovery and that great excitement was was it you know look what I can make with language or look at the realms of feeling that I can get into or the, the ways I can escape from my immediate confidence I mean what, what was I guess it was probably kind of lots of things mixed up at once I think
2: so sure yeah it was a, you know, in high school in part I think this is true for both my brother Michael and I but I should just speak for myself in this instance which is I also in high school really liked this girl who liked poems. So that was exciting. The idea that I could write a poem and give it to her and then uh, she may uh, make out with me later was thrilling for a high school student. But then within that, not necessarily even beyond it or underneath it, but within it and along with it, was this experience of yes, being able to say anything And there be no repercussions for it. To be able to talk about things that I might be, at the time, too shy or scared to talk about with friends, you were able to put into a poem. So it was a feeling also of being absolutely free from judgment or repercussions of any kind.
1: I would say also now as an adult, I I would bet this is true for, for both of us and for many writers, I can get back to that place when I'm working on a on a first draft of a poem. That's what Baudelaire says, isn't it? Poetry is childhood
0: recovered as an act of will.
1: And it, I mean, it truly, truly, it feels like that physically, you know, and um, that kind of discovery, that kind of mystery and even danger um, when you're making uh, one of these things, a poem that uh, can get, be recaptured very quickly. And I think it's one of the things that, you know why would you keep doing this for years you know i think that feeling is one of the
2: reasons yeah this it's you're also able to i think this might go along with what my brother michael was saying as well but that you're also able to engage in things that might be a little scary to engage in like the central subject of this book that michael and i've come together to make with faber and faber brother uh, surrounds the suicide and death of our older brother and long after he had died, a couple of years after he had died, I was living near the gray the um, graveyard where he was buried, and really afraid to go there. But through poems, I could write i could even though I lived two blocks away and would avoid it, I could write about it in poetry.
0: Did you feel that those poems, though, in a sense maybe this is too mystical, but was something that was kind of waiting for you or there was a confrontation that you had to have that there was going to come a point where you had to examine those things. There was inevitability inevitability about it in other words.
2: I think there was probably an inevitability about having to confront those things, but not necessarily through poetry. It could easily have been for both my twin brother and I that we dealt with our brother's death in different ways and never wrote poems about him, or never wrote the amount of poems or the kind of poems we wrote about his death. Is, is that the same for you?
1: Yeah, I, I would say so, you know, for, for both of us. Um, you know, after Darren died, I did not immediately think, now I will write an, an elegy about him, or now I will deal with this loss through poetry, partly because I've never dealt with anything through poetry, there's no, I don't find it therapeutic at all, but a couple years on after Darren had had passed away, I, I well, I should say right after he died, I had um, for about a month every night an intense dream about flies. In some way, the sort of texture of those dreams stayed with me years on, and so when I started writing about Darren's death, it was really through writing about these dreams or trying to address these dreams, which were very unique for me. My dreams are usually very boring and stayed and sort of um, run-of-the-mill. And so it was a unique experience. And in that way, I could get to write about
0: about his passing. Did you both begin writing about your brother's death around the same time? And did you talk to each other about about what was beginning to, to take shape on the page?
1: I don't... I, I think we did start writing about it around the same time but i don't actually recall a conversation i think what probably happened is that matthew sent me a draft of a poem darren was in it and then you know you would just deal with the poem and um Mm -hmm. i mean we had had of course hundreds of conversations on the phone and in person about the loss of our brother but never i I don't at least i don't recall ever talking to you about you know how should we should we write poems about Mm -hmm. him or, or or what
0: do you read each other's work at an earlier stage than most poets tend to, to circulate or to allow an, another person
1: to, to, to see their work? I would guess that we do. I mean, we I share with Matthew and vice versa um, really rough drafts, like early, early, early drafts, sometimes just to get a sense of not just direction, but is it worth moving forward on this thing and we've read every single thing that the other person has ever written starting in high school and so you can expect a very honest straightforward answer from 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 this brother
2: yeah it's true and we do share i will send my brother michael a first draft uh, just like he's suggesting you know in a way for me just to find out you know should i continue working on this poem or not Maybe I write a first draft, and I've written a first draft, but it feels like all the doors are shut in it. I can give it to my brother. He knows my work well enough, more than anyone else, and he'll be the most honest with me than anybody else. And it feels like he opens up some of those doors in conversation about that first draft. I can continue rewriting it after that.
0: So both of you can perhaps see little fingerprints where the other has, has influenced some some detail or some turn or some...
1: Refinement, Right, absolutely, on every single poem. You know, really? many, many fingerprints, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I have maybe even an example of that. There's a poem in this book called My Brother's Grave, and I remember sending a first draft to Michael, and the poem was about our brother's grave, but it was really kind of general, that first, that early draft. And Michael said, you, you should talk about things that go on in graveyards. You should make it... know, more real. And so I jumped back in the poem, rewrote it, and examined what my twin brother had suggested, and came up with this poem that I might read for you. My brother's grave, like a city I've always hated, driving through but never stopping, my foot on the gas, running all the lights, wishing I were home, hating even the children who live there as if they had a choice. I imagine him in his ten million particles of ash, tied up into a beautiful white bundle of lace, a silver bow looped where his neck should be, thrown into a washing machine set on a delicate cycle to spin forever under the dirt. The all of him left, the vegetation of him, the no more thing of him, his skateboard and mountain bike and beers and cigarettes and daughter and mixtapes and loneliness, his legs and feet and arms and brain and kneecaps. Outside the graveyard, there is still some part of him buried in the mysticism of his DNA, smeared across a doorknob or brushed along the jagged edge of his car keys. Two kids from the high school nearby will fuck each other on top of him and I won't know how to stop them. Someone will throw an empty bottle of vodka over their shoulder, and he will have to catch it.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Do you remember Michael responding to that the first time? Do you remember seeing it in draft?
1: I do. yeah, I do remember it. and and the draft was was great, but like Matthew. Uh, said earlier it was sort of almost just a kind of general description of a grave or or of a cemetery but not uh, specific you know in a way and and sometimes the comments that we make on each other's drafts are, are like that sort of like general sort of comments and then other times they can be very specific I was working on a new poem recently and Matthew read it and said oh instead of this word whatever the word was this other one really specific and i put that word and i thought yes this is so much better you know um and uh yeah so it sort of runs the gamut is there some way in which you're kind of defining yourselves
0: against each other Not, not not confrontational way but so intimately connected and yet so distinct in in so many ways does it help that that intimate involvement in order to actually i mean there's a there's a there's a moment matthew i think in in one of your poems we talk about a photograph of, of, mm. the, of, of the pair of you mm-hmm. and your brother helped and that picture helping to know who you are mm-hmm. and in a sense is that also an artistic way of helping realize who you are this this very intimate connection in in the development of the work
2: absolutely yeah i think it is you know, the, the intimate connection that my twin brother and i have as brothers and as uh, friends and as poets it helps anchor me and center me in the world, and in my life. Knowing that I can send my work to someone like Michael, to a twin brother, uh, is amazing, and helps me feel secure when I'm writing things maybe I might feel insecure about. I know that they're not just gonna go out in the world. I know they're gonna be, in a way, protected by my twin brother because he's going to help me with them. You know, It's really just, I don't have to be alone in the world. So there's definitely definitely that. I think our work is different from each other and so different from each other just naturally. I don't think we conscientiously have ever decided to write very different poems from each other. Just our own inclinations, our own obsessions, our own loves has drawn our work aesthetically away from one another while still residing in the same genre.
1: Yes, I, I mean, I'll just agree with everything that my brother said. I think that's it's it's true. It's it's really a, almost like subterranean diversion. One one kind of poem uh, that Matthew writes to a kind that I write, and in some way, it's probably uh, you know I I think of it to some degree of heat or or other as a, as a way to survive each other's work. Also, that it is different, but that sounds more conscious than it really is. I think it really is just, like Matthew said, a natural happening.
2: Yeah, it really is unconscious. I mean, if you listen to that poem, My Brother's Grave, and then if you, listen, if you heard like Michael's poem, The New Green, uh, you could see how different that is. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll read that poem, in fact.
2: The New Green
1: To wake up every morning in the pines in your bedroom and have to shake off the green night lights is a blessing. I want to burn down the forest that's been growing all night in my brain. I left a note in my brain in red Sharpie. It says, don't forget the matches. Embers go flying up to the top branches. The house gets brighter and brighter. Then I call down the hallway. To my dead brother then more lights in my home in my brain I'm at home the pine trees are beautiful and made of green needles the pine trees are beautiful and made of green needles I went to sleep and when I woke up I was covered in pitch nothing really happens to you when you're dreaming Everyone alive is alive, everyone dead is again. Through the new green they come back. They can't come back, but they come back. The lights inside the pines are my pillow. I strike a match on my teeth and light the needles. I strike the matches, I keep being alive. I didn't know that it would get easier but it does the rain softly through the last of the branches is your voice the lights are my pillow my brother is my mattress my mother turns off the trees and tucks us in
0: thank you very much indeed in 2009, Re- Rebecca Mead published a, a profile of you both in The New Yorker, which I guess has become part of the, the Dickman Brothers' mm. mythography. Mm. And in it, she said they've resisted the pairing of their work. And we've got in front of us <laughs> a book which would suggest that you've, you've stopped it resisting if, if, if that was a true characterization. So I guess my question is, what, what's changed? Why, why did you decide this? this was the project that you, you wanted to bring out with both your works
1: in it. Sure. I mean, w- One thing to say, I think, to, to clarify just a little bit is I think one of the things that Rebecca Mead was getting at was that because we're identical twins and because we're both writing poems, I think there was just a natural pairing that people wanted to make. But it could be so intense that it could sort of push aside the, the poems. And so that was something that we felt like we had to work against in 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 some way you know um whether that meant deciding not to do readings together for a little while um and things like that um but this book brother came about partly through a conversation over the past couple years with matthew hollis about something that matthew felt that he was seeing and hearing in reading our work together that he felt uh was touching to him important and 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 that he was interested in Uh, you know i think his uh excitement about the the project also made matthew and i lower our defenses about something that we normally would sort of hold at at arm's length
2: yeah there was in in those conversations with with mr hollis uh there was never once, you never once got a feeling that there was something gimmicky at foot uh, or anything less than sincere at play. and that it was a kinds of connections he was seeing in the work around this subject uh, that I think went beyond just you know twin poets. But interesting, I, I believe for, for Matthew Hollis, you know, to bring together these elegies by these siblings about another sibling and how of course we all experience grief in different ways, even twin brothers experience it uh, differently from each other. But then if you have that grief in poems, how do those poems speak to each other? And then, and in that way the book started I think to form.
0: I mean it's, it's very clear from from listening to you talk that the intensity of, of you and the closeness of your relationship, And so it may surprise listeners that you had also a very intense relationship with your elder brother. Can you tell me a little bit about him and about that relationship
1: when you were growing up? Sure, yeah. I should say that, so um, Matthew and I grew up with our little sister Elizabeth in in a house with our mother, Wendy. And then um, in the same city, sort of just down the street, our older brother and older sister, Dana and Darren, were living at times with our father but but often enough with their mother a different a different mom but they were often around babysitting etc and then when we got older sort of in 7th 8th grade and Dana and Darren became very they were always important to us but we really started to look up to them i mean they were so cool and they would take us to all the cool coffee shops in portland that or or clubs or places our mother didn't want us to go and and Darren also, um, you know, we grew up with a amazing, dazzling single. Mother, our father, was not around. Um, and Darren, in some ways, I think, also sort of fulfilled certain aspects of what a dad might have like he would come to a little league game you know he would come to a summer theater show or something and, and so we looked up to him and uh, and yeah love both of them uh, dearly
0: and it was a fairly tough sort of environment to grow up in i get the sense that that male role models perhaps we were fairly few and far between, or it was, it was you were lucky to have the role model in your brother?
1: Yeah, I think we were lucky. I mean, we've been lucky with male role models um, growing up in our lives, like Darren, for sure, um, our, our old, uh, old teacher and, and mentor and now dear friend, Ernie Cushado, who we mentioned earlier. And in our neighborhood, you know, it's funny, like when you're growing up in a place, at the time it didn't seem like a tough neighborhood, and part of that had to do with the stable loving uh, home life that we had but it's also true that the dads of a lot of our friends were terrible they would beat up our friends in front of us they would hit us they would do drugs and and so it was a little bit looking back it was a little bit rough and you sort of wonder like oh i was like 10 years old watching an adult shoot heroin and you know and things like that and and so uh, I think Darren became really important as a as a usually healthy uh, role model. Mm-hmm.
0: And Matthew, from your poems, I gather that then there were times, you know, when he went from being a hero to being really very vulnerable, and you know, when he would be hospitalised, and and there would be challenges for you to cope with that. And
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the idea of, of hero isn't always just someone who's always strong and secure and will never break down. And of course, our brother broke down over and over again throughout his life. And so those were difficult times when he would you know, be hospitalized or he was also an addict. And so when he would get clean and you'd go through a period of time with him where he was clean and all you were doing was getting Cokes and fries at McDonald's and going on walks and Uh, sitting at a cafe drinking coffee and you know chain smoking cigarettes and talking about girls and getting advice from him and then he and then times when he would fall off the wagon and he would end up drinking again or or using drugs again and then you were dealing with a very different older brother you know one who uh, who was always as vulnerable as he was strong in in many ways but you're just dealing with a whole person right.
0: Do you think you've dealt with grief in different ways or in in similar ways, I mean that the manifestation in the poetry is clearly very different, but is it possible to to say how you has has there been a a solitary path you've had to tread, or have you do you feel like you've trodden it together
1: i think I think solitary you know um, we share the loss as does our older sister parents, but it's not i don't think working through the grief is something that you can ever really share. As much as it's possible you can be witnesses one to the other about this person who's no longer here. But then what that feels like the nights that you wake up those are yours.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think for anybody, for all of us on the planet, actually each death that you experience is individual to you and your grief will be individual. This friend of mine, this American poet D.A. Powell, so he's such an amazing poet, and he and I were talking just recently about death and he said, Yeah, he said it's so strange, like if a car, if a plane crashes, people talk about, you know, three hundred people all died. But it makes it sound like it all happened at, at once, which it, it did and it didn't. There were actually three hundred individual deaths. They were grouped together because they were all in the same space, but each one was absolutely different and had nothing to do with the other. And it's the same, I think, with caring grief.
0: It ramified in different ways, and I guess that's what your poetry shows: it's, it's, it's ramifications in different directions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Matthew, can I get you to read another piece from the the collection? Perhaps?
2: Sure. So, this you know, we're talking about grief, and part of my grief when Darren died was. Maybe childish, but really, like, I was worried that I was going to forget what he looked like. And I wanted—I just wanted him back for a moment, you know, so I could remember what he looked like. And then on, on, on top of that, going through and remembering all the steps after his death and everything that, you know, family members had to do. So this is a poem called Satellite. I'm sitting beneath the bent live oak wishing the plane blinking above me was a satellite that would shoot images of my older brother back down into my brain so I could print them out and paste them on the wall. I have to keep looking at this one picture of him to remember how his jaw was and which side of the moon he parted his hair. He's always away from me now, some animal or constellation that walked out of the world, but for rumors and half-skeletons found in the Congo, drawings of what he might have looked like. My brain dreams about cities from outer space, a place with a name like Kilimanjaro, where he might still be walking around in his vision streetwear high tops, or even a shadow like my father, who talked about Costco the night of my brother's cremation and how pumpkiny their pumpkin pie was, though he bought them in a frozen pack of 20. Just like a real bakery, he said. You just throw it in the oven. He kept saying that. You just throw it in the oven. You just throw it in the oven.
0: Thank you very much. I don't know if you have any views on how you'd like someone to read this this book. Maybe you feel it's up to them. I guess it's always up to them to discover their own ways. But I read first one collection and the other, and then I... Repeated that process, but then I started sort of going backwards and forwards. And both your poetic voices are very distinct and very, very clear. But then interesting things did begin to happen. Mm. I thought things began to things began to light up. The things mm-hmm. like, there's things like there's a lot of light. There's a mm-hmm. lot of burning. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of brain. And the, mm-hmm. the word the word brain. And I mean I know I know it can be facile just to fasten on a particular word, but it seemed to me that the the, the brain was a real almost palpable mm. organ in the body for for mm. both of you so I wondered if you could if you might just like to comment on on any of those sort of mm. possible ricochets if you see ricochets or if you if you really want the reader to to do all that mm. themselves and, and and for you you know just yeah. to, to let your own work sit mm. sort of monolithically beside <laughs> the, the
1: others I wouldn't necessarily suggest to, to look for certain things how, however I do think that this book because of how it's been made, encourages more than than other things, multiple experiences, multiple ways of, of reading, whether you start by reading my brother's half, or my half, or my half and his half, or moving back and forth be- between the poems. And there's something about the sort of chaotic nature of that that I really, really like, because I feel like it's closer to our own experiences of our lives than, say, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, moving forward um, like that. And so that, I think, just that there's, there's the possibility of discovery between these two sets of poems in a way that isn't necessarily the same if it was just a book by me, or if it was just a book by
2: Matthew. Yeah, and I also think that, that there's always a, uh, a greater chance of discovery for a reader than there is for the writer. You bring up, it's a really great thing about the word brain being important, and the brains or brain showing up maybe over and over. In a, in a book of poems that are written by two people who are both writing them in response to grief about an older brother who's committed suicide and who's had trouble with his brain uh, his whole life. So I I think there are things that will come out of the book and come out of these poems sharing the same space like they do that are unintentional by my brother and I, uh, or that might be happening that we're not even aware of.
0: Maybe we could conclude this conversation with um, a reading from you Michael.
2: Sure yeah
1: i um, will like to read a poem called Killing Flies and this is one of the poems that came from one of these intense dreams that I had um, uh, shortly after Darren passed away. Speaking of the brain yeah. <laughs> um, Killing Flies I sit down for dinner with my brother again this is the last dream I ever want to have Passing the forks around the table. Passing the knives. One thing I want to know is, who's in the kitchen right now, if it isn't me? It isn't me. The kitchen is full of flies. Flies are doing all the work. They light on the edge of the roasted chicken. The bone china. That's what they do. Light. I will look more and more like him until I'm older than he is. Then he'll look more like me if I was lost. The flies need to be killed as soon as we're done eating this delicious meal they made. They serve us anything we want in toxic tuxedos and shit wings. My brother and I wipe our mouths, scrape chairs back from the table, and stand up. These are the last things we'll do together. Eat dinner, kill flies. You have to lie down next to the bodies shining all in a row like black sequins stitching up the kitchen floor. It's hard to do, but you have to do it. Quietly lie down and not sleep. We don't sleep. My brother and I work hard all night, sticking their eyes onto our earlobes and wrists like Egyptian jewelry. He is my emergency exit. I am his dinner date. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: I was talking to Michael and Matthew Dickman about their book, Brother, which is available now in paperback. For more information about it, visit faber.co.uk. On the Faber channels on Vimeo and YouTube, you'll also be able to find short videos of Matthew and Michael reading poems from the book. The whole podcast archive is available on SoundCloud. It now amounts to over 100 hours of interviews. Just search for Faber Books SoundCloud. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.